0: This week's edition of Assembly Call Radio is coming right up. Before we get to that, a quick word from this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. Let's start with a question. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big that they feel like they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. So what if their site's annoying and doesn't have the events you want? The real question is how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually care? So, why is SeatGeek better than the rest? Well, a quick look at the App Store shows over 50,000 five-star reviews. How's that for customer satisfaction? And they get these reviews because they provide a better process. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web, then it rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10, and finally SeatGeek displays these deals and the tickets on an interactive seat map so you can see exactly where you'd be sitting. SeatGeek breaks down the details, green dots mean good deals, red dots are overpriced, and every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. As I've told you many times, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It is by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. Uh, I found tickets for a concert my wife and I are going to go to there. I'm going to do it again later this summer because we're going to try and go to a lot of concerts this summer. Uh, So I'll be using the SeatGeek app uh, when I get those, and that's why I recommend that you should as well. And here's the thing, SeatGeek will even give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. So download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. All right, and now here is this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most urgent topics in the never dull world of Indiana basketball. This is our 122nd edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 514th episode overall of the Assembly Call. Recorded on the evening of Thursday, May 16th, 2019, I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down. This week's Banner Moment occurred on Wednesday when I opened my email and found the latest newsletter from Dribble Handoff, an analytics website geared toward coaches that I highly recommend if you want to understand college hoops at a deeper level. This edition of the newsletter came with the subject line, Is Defense Undervalued? The author, Frank DeHell, believes that it is. And for an Indiana program that is clearly building its identity on the defensive end of the court, that is an intriguing assessment. After highlighting some compelling data to back its main point, the email says, quote, Coaches are undervaluing defensive abilities, and therefore, teams aren't playing their most efficient lineups. Coaches are just playing their most efficient offensive players, without consideration for their defensive value. Undervaluing defense affects all aspects of the game. Teams who properly value defense not only are rewarded by an increased scoring margin over the course of the season, but also find additional value from a player acquisition perspective valuing defense appropriately should completely alter recruiting and the transfer market, unquote. The email concludes, quote, regardless of the root cause, defense continues to be undervalued. The game is being managed at a suboptimal level. This large scale market inefficiency offers tremendous returns for teams willing to invest in analytically studying defensive possessions, unquote. Well, Archie Miller certainly seems to be a coach who is focused on doing exactly that. Now, look, Let me state for the record, this market inefficiency of an undervaluation of defense as described in this email does not mean that offensive firepower isn't vitally important. It is. Anyone who has watched the last two years of IU basketball understands that. But it does suggest that in the long run, given current college basketball trends, Archie's insistence on building an IU program that values defense will bear fruit. And if this season's national championship matchup between Virginia and Texas Tech was any indication... It will be fruit that one day might taste pretty sweet. Okay, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show to my left. He is the Tyrion Lannister of Girls' Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the President Emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and one of the world's most respected bracketologists. He is Andy Bottoms.
1: What a swell guy.
0: Andy, what is your Bottoms line from the last week in Indiana basketball?
1: Well, I think the by the time we recorded last week, we knew about Ethan Morton. And we also uh, had reason to believe that uh, Quinones was going to go to Memphis, and that's really how things played out. So at this point, for me, uh, it's really a bit of a waiting game in terms of seeing what IU is going to do with those two open scholarships. As we discussed last week, I don't really foresee a scenario where they would use both of them. Um, But I do think it would be intriguing to see if they can find a grad transfer or even a a sit out transfer to use one of those on as they continue to build. Uh, But what I like is that there doesn't appear to be a rush to give those out and use those up as it feels like there has been uh, in prior years. And so I think that's, uh, you know, comforting to see that at least while the coaching staff I'm sure is disappointed in a couple of the misses on the recruiting trail, I I think it also shows that they aren't panicking and feel pretty comfortable with the guys that are there. So uh, I I do think it places a bit more emphasis on Jerome Hunter's health, which we still don't really have a great view into, um, but, but I do think it's an intriguing roster at this point, one that is, uh, very balanced and you could see every guy potentially contributing in a, a path to minutes for everyone, but no clear superstar as there seems to have been over the, uh, you know, last handful of seasons. So it's uh, shaping up to be an interesting one. I don't think at this point I'm ready to say that the roster is completely set in stone because as you know, different colleges graduate and guys may become eligible to be grad transfers, Maybe there's some different movement. You had, you know, late coaching movement this week that we'll talk about later. And so uh, I don't think everything is nailed down by any means, but it's uh, it's interesting to watch. And and like I said, glad to see there isn't a lot of of panic setting in from the coaching staff standpoint, but also uh, just kind of curious to see if this is truly what the roster will look like going into next
0: season. And to my right, he is a senior writer at the Big Lead, a proud Indiana Journalism School graduate. And he is a man so impressed with his own intelligence that he would pick himself to win a one-on-one Westeros history trivia battle against Bran Stark.
2: Time has proven me right on virtually everything.
0: He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, what is your rant this
2: week? I am a history nerd, so yeah, <laughs> I'd kick Bran's tail. Uh, I <laughs> like Especially how you since with... he's nowhere to be seen now. I know, I, I like how you went game of thrones heavy this week it's
0: the last yeah. week man it's the last you guys want week. to talk about that let's just talk about that segment two I, all thrones I, I, I made
1: it i'm gonna just i'm gonna zone out then i made it clear a couple weeks ago that i've never watched one episode and know <laughs> so, really nothing that anyone's talking about so, so jared so that'll be riveting
2: take, if you could take dragon fire to one like tormentor of indiana over the years who would it be you could just you could light them up like they like lord varus who would who would it be mackie arena get it out of here mackie Arena, all right. I can, I can see that. Okay. I respect it, but if I people in like the it. comments want to respond, feel free or, yeah. or, or, or hit us up on Twitter. Um, yeah, not a whole lot went on this week. Lost Quinones, uh to Memphis. I think everyone expected that they made a good late run. I think they did everything they could there. Uh, you know, that, that was a tough one because I think he fit what they needed. He didn't really, wasn't a great defender, but he's a great shooter and they really need that. Uh, I don't know how Memphis is going to fit all these players in and, it's kind of weird what's going on down there right now. I think uh, some people are questioning whether <laughs> it's all legitimate. But, I mean, Penny Hardaway, clearly a magnetic personality. He used to have a mini version of himself selling shoes. So, I mean, how can he pass that up? Uh, voiced by Chris Rock, actually. Um, it's about money! Yeah, I don't know why you would suggest such a thing, Jared. Um, Bags so, yeah. of cash. Bags of cash. <laughs> but yeah just just sort of a, a, a you know a typical uh you know week of off-season Indiana basketball. Uh, Would love to see something happen uh, to add another roster player or get some more about Jerome Hunter's health. I think that's really all we're looking at right now. Uh, The UConn news came out, which I know we're going to talk about soon, the John line news, but that's stuff we're going to get to. As far as just overall what happened in the week in Indiana basketball, though, kind of a slow thing. They've got that dunk. You can tell how slow it is by the fact that the Twitter account is doing a bracket for dunks and uh marco killingsworth lost so clearly whoever's running mm-hmm. that and whoever's voting has no idea what they're doing
0: <laughs> well maybe we'll break that down next week when they, when we get the final results in uh all right here's what we're going to talk about this week a few hoosier college hoops headlines as ryan alluded to then we'll take a glance around the big 10 for both next year and beyond and then we will answer your questions as we always do all of that coming this week on assembly call radio now real quick before we get to the headlines one thing, Ryan, we haven't been on a show together in a while. You have seen this clip because I posted it on Twitter, but we haven't gotten your official podcast response to Ethan Hap's response to your constant ripping of him. So I'm going to play that right here and then give you a chance to respond. This is Ethan Hap. I sent him a message. Uh, this was on Cameo. Asked him to respond to my co-host to Ryan. It.
2: You don't have to explain it. You can just say Ethan
0: Happ called into the show, but giving it away. It's fine. Well, I just wanted to be transparent with how this goes. Anyway, here's a quote from Ethan Happ. Then, Ryan, you can respond. What's up, Ryan? Ethan here.
1: I heard that you were a hater towards my post moves throughout my career at Wisconsin. Um, I know that you think I traveled on basically all my possessions in the post. But I'm here to tell you that I stopped doing it. I don't do it anymore. And I'm sorry to break the bad news, but
0: that's not the case. The refs would have called it.
2: He knows Big Ten officials, right? That, <laughs> Like, he, he played in the league for four years. He understands that they, they're they quite good at missing things. Uh, no, you know what? Kudos to Ethan Hap for responding and being classy about it and everything. Uh, he did cut down on the travels as he got older, but I still contend when he catches the ball, he drags his foot every time. He'll get away with it plenty at the next level, so I guess he doesn't have to worry about it. But, uh, Ethan, don't make me like Ethan Happ, Jared. You're a jerk. I mean, he did kind of like tacitly admit that he did it
0: especially in the beginning so he kind of agreed with you but then kind of went against you
2: yeah no he definitely did as a <laughs> freshman there's no question about that uh but i i thought he continued to do it throughout his career i thought he cleaned it up a little bit as he got older but um you know hats off to ethan hap for being classy in his response Ugh. yeah All
0: right, let's talk some headlines here. Uh, Ryan, as you mentioned earlier, we did get news that Indiana will play UConn in the Jimmy V Classic on December 19th. Uh, Texas Tech and Louisville are also in that event. I know there were some reports when it was announced that Indiana would play in this that it was going to be Indiana-Louisville, but it turns out that it's going to be Indiana playing UConn. Uh, The Huskies were 16-17 and last season, the first season under new coach Dan Hurley. They do have three top 100 recruits coming in, one uh, that astute IU fans will be familiar with, James Book. Knight, uh, who Indiana uh, was after, then also Jalen Gaffney and Akuk Akuk. Um, so they do have an infusion of talent. Uh, Andy, your thoughts on uh, Indiana? I, this is probably the least sexy matchup, I suppose, of the three that Indiana could have gotten, but maybe, just looking at it on paper, the most winnable.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what... We, we talked about this, I don't remember if it was last week or the week prior, where uh, it was announced that IU was playing in the event, and that was, I think, the the consensus that we came to, which was maybe the matchup that you like the least, but uh, from a, a winnable game standpoint, I would I would place it above uh, Louisville based on who they have coming back and Texas Tech based on their recent track record. So in that regard, uh, potentially not too bad. I was just kind of glancing down uh, UConn's roster. They didn't lose a ton from last year. They did lose Jalen Adams, who is their leading scorer. Uh, but other than that, they have, you know, the four, it looks like five other guys who scored at least eight points a game, all of whom appear to be back and not within the, the transfer portal, so, uh, but it was very much a, I don't know, rebuilding year. Is probably not the right, not the right way to say it, but a, a challenging year for them last year with it being uh, Dan Hurley's first season. So, I think you'll see him, you know, build things up a bit there. They had been on the downswing under Kevin Ollie for the last uh, couple of years prior to that, so they haven't had a winning season since uh, back in 2016. So, um, yeah, I, I think they're a program headed in the right direction, but one that from a, a, a beatable standpoint, was probably as good as IU could draw in this particular event.
0: Yeah, so now we know that Indiana will play Arkansas at home this game against UConn. They'll play Notre Dame in the Crossroads Classic. they will have one other uh, you know, guaranteed game against a big conference team in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. And then it'll be interesting to see how they fill in the schedule around there. So we'll have plenty more to talk about uh, once those games start to get filled in. Ryan, I was intrigued uh, this week. The NCAA Rules Committee has proposed moving the three point line back to the international distance. So from 20 feet, nine inches, where it is now, to 22 feet, uh, one and three quarters inches. That's where the line was during the NIT, which, of course, Indiana played three games in this year. Uh, For what it's worth, Indiana's returning players shot 31% from the uh, longer three point line in the NIT. Um, they're also talking about possibly resetting the shot clock to 20 seconds after an offensive rebound, and then a few others. What are your thoughts on this? I'm I, I like the longer three point line. I hope they do it.
2: Yeah, and and you know, for people who are wondering about like, well, the percentages go down, whatever. Guys will adjust. They'll they'll get used to shooting it from longer. They got used to shooting it where it is now. I mean, uh, you know, for a long time, guys didn't shoot threes barely at all, and they you know train themselves and get used to it. And now you see guys like Steph Curry and Damian Lillard pulling up from 35 feet out. I mean, they, you know, the game evolves and catches up with the rules.
0: But the immediate and, effect is probably some guys will shoot less and
2: it should open up the court some. Agreed. Agreed. And and it will also open up the spacing yeah. of the floor, you know, because the three-point line will be pushed out for, the offenses will start from further out. And and that will open up cuts. It will open up, you know, backdoor uh, cuts and things like that and and should spread the floor. And, and I think that if you do that, there has to be a discussion made about maybe making the court a little bit wider, um, you know, in certain arenas because the, they just have to be in, uh, inside a certain, you know, dimension. I think, I think that they need, they might need to open up the court a little bit. Um, that's been discussed at the NBA level before because guys are getting so much bigger and stronger and there's just not enough room on the court. Maybe you expand the distance between the three point line and the sidelines a little bit or, or lengthen the court a little bit. Um, I also think that I I completely agree with the shot clock rule of of resetting it to 20. They're already doing that in the NBA. I don't know. At NBA, I think it resets to 14, Um, but I I like that a lot. And I think it's, you know, if you have a really good offensive rebounding team, you get a benefit from that now uh, because it resets, but also when it's a long, unless you're going to reduce the shot clock to 24, 25 or something like that. I think you do need to, 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 bring the reset down because you know a team gets an offensive rebound it can kill a minute of clock completely if it if it you know takes it all the way down to one gets the offensive rebound you can kill an entire minute on one half of the floor and i just while i get it if you're a good offensive rebounding team that's a benefit to you i do think it bogs the game down a little bit so i would like to see the reset of the shot clock create some more urgency off of offensive rebounds instead of going out, setting up your entire offense all over again and all that, I'd like to see some secondary offense off offensive rebounds and, and some more. I think it would lead to more attacking the rim. Agreed. Andy?
1: Yeah. Only things that I would add, uh, you know, I, I was, I liked most of the, uh, the rules they tried out in the NIT. I'd really like to see him adapt the, the resetting the fouls or playing quarters or something like that. I think um, that, that to me really helped the game flow and, and some of the free throw shooting situations um, from a three pointer on those, you know, so few guys are really that close to the line anymore. It seems like Ryan, as you said, that I'm not sure it's a a huge adjustment. Although I think I speak for all IU fans when I say that I don't think the three point shot after the last couple seasons needs to be made more difficult by pushing the line further away.
2: <laughs> or um, well, you're also making it harder for everyone else, though. That's yeah. that's the benefit, to IU.
1: Well, no, I, I understood, but assuming that the that the, the discrepancy is still relative, it does not help at all. But uh, I
0: mean, Devontae yeah. is going to take half our threes next year anyway, and he doesn't care where the line is. So I think we're positioned yeah, OK to, to handle it. Yeah.
2: Uh, I, I will say I think that the shot clock will be as uh, consequential as moving the three point line back. I, I really don't think people understand how that speeds you up because if you rebound it and it resets to 20, by the time you're getting out of, its, out of your hands, maybe it's 18. By the time you decide what to do with the ball, it's 15, 14, 13. It's going to speed up the way the offenses are played. And I think it's going to be great for, baske, for, for the basketball. And I thought it did in the NIT. I, I really liked the speed of the games and the pace of the games in the NIT. I'm not necessarily an advocate of splitting the game up into quarters as a lot of people are. I'm not against it. I'm just not like super pro splitting a game up into quarters, but I thought that the shot clock made the game move even more than that would.
0: Yep. Uh, last headline I want to hit, and this will lead us into our discussion for segment two. John Beeline leaves Michigan, goes to Cleveland. I want to get your guys' initial reaction to it, kind of from an Indiana perspective, because that's what matters for this podcast. Like, First when of you, all, when... Okay, what? I was just going to say, how shocked were you? Scale of one to ten when I immediately saw it shocked when you sit back and think about it and remember his dalliance with Detroit last year, I wasn't as shocked, but in the moment I was shocked.
2: I'd completely forgotten about the Pistons thing. Yeah. Um, I was, I was, you could put me on a 10 for shocked, uh, with how good he's been. And with his age, I didn't think he'd want to move on. He's not like a young guy who can always come back, you know, to call he's six. This is probably the last move of his career. He's 66. His final challenge. I mean, yeah. You, and, you know? and, and look good for him. And and he's been a very innovative coach. I think we all think he's a top five college coach. Certainly probably right now, maybe the top in the big 10. Uh, shocked me that he would go choose now to go. Like if it had been after West Virginia and like two years at Michigan or something, wouldn't have surprised me, but at 66 years old to be Coaching 82 games like that, I man, I did Le- not At expect- least he doesn't have to recruit anymore. Uh, yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, there's trade-offs to, to all that. Oh, yeah, say. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, college is a 365, 24-7 thing, but you can also push recruiting on the younger staff members and things like that. He's going to be out on the court 82 times a year, flying all over the place, and it's yeah. different, man. It's a different world. There's no easy basketball one. I think that pro football is probably easier than college football because of the recruiting aspect. But pro basketball, you're on the road a lot. You're flying a lot, all that stuff. Uh, I wish him luck. I always thought he was a good man. I've, I've interviewed him a few times. Uh, saw him out in Maui uh, last year. Maui couldn't, Yeah. Couldn't have been nicer. Couldn't have been more accommodating. Kind of a, kind of a weird guy uh, in a positive way. Not like a creepy weird, but it, kind of a weird, odd guy. And uh, forever he gave us Max Bielfeld. So thank you, uh, Coach Beeline. Wish you luck. In case you were waiting,
0: Coach, you have Ryan's blessing. So all as well as you make your way to Cleveland. So, Andy, when you see something like this, do you look at it as, okay, good. One of the best coaches is out of here. Michigan should fall down. That should allow Indiana to move up one spot in the pecking order. Or do you look at it as... I I like when the Big Ten is rolling with as many good coaches as possible, and I want Indiana to rise because we're firing as well as we can, not just because other programs maybe take a step back, because I'm more the latter. I'm disappointed. I like seeing as many good coaches in the Big Ten as possible.
1: Uh, I probably... There probably would have been times that I would have fallen on your side of it, but I think lately... Um... I think from an IU perspective, take all the help we can get and, uh, and and go from there. But I was, uh, you know, and and some of that is you don't really know how much that changes until you see who they bring in. If they're able to find somebody who, who can kind of continue what they had already, I think it becomes a little bit, it it might become a little bit different equation versus if you see somebody who comes in is really going to employ a different system, change a lot of things around. I think you could see a step back in, in the short term uh, for something like that. So I, I guess I view it right now more as the the former and a a good. This probably helps IU in the in the short term, um, but yeah. definitely was always a guy that I you know I had a lot of respect for. Was was a really smart, intelligent, uh, offensive mind in particular, and and like the way that he was able to you know acknowledge that he needed some help getting things where they needed to be on the defensive end, and and how much they've they've jumped over the last couple of seasons. And and the flip side is you can kind of see with who they were going to lose this year. Do you really know? You know, is that a little bit harder to sustain? Who's to say, maybe the timing was just right. There's never going to be a great time when you get to be that age to, to go and, uh, and try it out. I, the timing in terms of after the NBA season, just it being far enough after Cleveland was done playing, that seemed, that was the part that was a little bit more surprising to me was just the actual like timing of it, I guess.
0: Yeah okay uh coming up here on the assembly call we are going to take a look around the big 10 who is set up the best for success next season what does michigan look like and which programs do we have the most confidence in over the next five years and where is indiana in that hierarchy we will discuss that stick with us
1: This is Ethan Happ, and I never listen to The Assembly Call, especially the episodes that Ryan is on.
0: Thank you, Ethan. All right, welcome back to The Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to participate in our unedited live broadcasts or watch those replays, then check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. Ethan Happ will haunt you on the show, Ryan. Stop giving that guy money. I know, <laughs> seriously what, what are you doing that's it that's all that's all from ethan Hap.
2: there aren't uh, iu players you can get to make fun of me come on
0: don't don't worry we got some more iu players coming it's all it's all happened uh okay so we just in our last segment we talked about john beeline leaving obviously that you Know kind of throws a huge wrench into the Big Ten as you project forward for next year. Michigan seemed like a program that was going to be in a little bit of a transition anyway, with Jordan Poole and Ignis Brasdakis probably going to the NBA. Uh, Poole for sure. Brasdakis says he's looking like he's you know probably going to stay in the draft. Uh, Charles Matthews leaving, but now beeline is gone. So, as we look at the conference for the next season, I kind of you know put the teams into tiers based on you know just what we've seen the last couple of years, who they have coming back. Let me give you my tears and then you guys pick them apart and tell me where I'm wrong. All right. I, Michigan State is the clear favorite, no question. They've got Izzo, Cassius Winston's back. They've got a great recruiting class. They will be the prohibitive favorite heading into next season. Kind of the next group that I, I guess, have the most confidence in just based on that recent track record and who they have coming back. I put Maryland, Iowa, Ohio State, and Purdue. Now, we're waiting on some decisions there as well. You know, Weis can't put his name in the NBA draft. I'm pretty sure he's coming back. Caleb Wesson probably coming back. But I put those guys in the next group. The question marks I had were Michigan, Wisconsin, Indiana, and Minnesota. Minnesota's waiting to hear on Amir Coffee. Teams that I feel like could kind of go either way, but I don't really know what to expect from them. Then teams that should be better than they were this year, Illinois, Penn State, and Rutgers. Who you know have a lot of guys back, and those teams all played well in the second half of the season. And then the bottom feeders for next year: Nebraska and Northwestern. Northwestern that just doesn't really have a whole lot of hope moving forward. Nebraska, I think, has a lot of hope moving forward, as we'll get to, because I think Fred Hoiberg is going to do a good job there. But his first season at Iowa State, they were three and thirteen in the conference with a lot of transfers. I feel like he'll probably have a similar transition this year. There's gonna be a change over there for sure, yeah. they
1: they basically turned over their entire roster with maybe a couple guys as exceptional. I think Isaiah Roby has his name in the draft if he doesn't come back. Like they've basically lost yeah. everybody who played any meaningful minutes,
0: yeah. So I think they'll be good in the future, but that's where I think they are right now. So as we look just at next year, what do you agree with? What do you disagree with? You know out of, out of those, Andy, why don't you go first?
1: I, yeah, the Michigan state part is the is the easy part, I guess. I, I think maryland, the this the kind of next group you have, I would absolutely agree with Ohio State. I think Purdue, from a track record standpoint over the last few years, as much as everybody's going to hate to admit it is is positioned pretty well where they seem to have kind of another set of guys ready to step into bigger roles. That's um, basically
0: faith and painter right there. It really is yeah. you know
1: yeah, Maryland uh, certainly losing Bruno Fernando is a big deal, assuming Anthony Cowan comes back though. I think you have him, Jalen Smith and the 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 young wing players that they had last year. I think that one makes sense. I was, if there was a team I was going to argue with in that tier, it would probably be Iowa. They ended up only 10 and 10 in the league last year. I think they started so much better. And so it, it may have seemed better than it really was and really down the stretch faltered again. And you have most of the same guys back minus Jared Cook, minus, you know, Nicholas Bear, minus Isaiah Moss. So I think they could take a little bit of a, more of a step back than it might seem, but I agree that from a talent standpoint, it doesn't completely fall off, but that's probably of that tier. The one that I would, I would nitpick. So I'll let Ryan jump in before we get into anybody else, but those are at least kind of your your top five. That's the one I would, I would nitpick.
2: Yeah. I would take Iowa out of that group as well. Um, Purdue, I guess it it is. It's the faith in Matt Painter, even though they're losing Carson Edwards, who I think is the engine that drives that entire team. You're losing Ryan Klein, a guy who just would come in and make murderous shots for you. Uh, I think that, Purdue is a candidate to take a step back, but they were a candidate to take a step back this year. Carson Edwards turned into uh, you know an all american type guy and and I think that that uh, was able to help sustain them um, i i don't love their roster coming back, but given their track record, it seems like somebody's going to step up and be way better than we expect them to just you know so I get why you have them in that group. Um, I also hate Purdue, so maybe that's why I'm thinking that. But um, I didn't know, want I, to put them in that group. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, um, I agree. Michigan State, you're right, is the easy part. I would have put Michigan maybe in the question marks or next group category. But without John Beeline, who knows what's going to happen? Do they go out and hire a new full-time coach, or do they, since it's so late in the process, do they go just promote someone for a year and then go find a, a head coach? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. It really is uh, with Michigan. And if they get a new person in, is there a transition? Is there turnover? Is there a big change uh, of roster guys and all that stuff, recruits and all that? Um, Minnesota, I think we're starting to see that Minnesota is a talented, you know, they can consistently have talented guys on the roster. But how often are they going to put it together and be consistent under under Patino? Uh, I, I don't have faith in that happening. Um, as for Indiana as for Indiana and no Jordan Murphy for them anymore to kind of hold things together. And And,
1: McBray are not there either. I mean, I I think if Amir coffee doesn't come back, they take a big step back. I think they're taking a step back regardless, just because I'm not convinced that he's all that good of a coach. And you really, at that point have, you know, a couple of big guys, but Curry's pretty long in the tooth and injury prone at, at this point, it feels Mm -hmm. like, and then, uh, you know, Calishard was a good shooter, but who's going to get him the ball? I'm not sure who plays point guard for them. Yeah,
2: and and um, with Indiana, I think a lot's going to depend on Jerome Hunter's health. A lot's going to depend on, you know, how this team comes in. I I am optimistic about Indiana. I've been saying for a long time. I think next year's team's going to be better than this past year's team was. That doesn't look like it's going to be enough to get. I mean, just being better than last year's team isn't going to be enough to get them into that next group in that top five. I think the way we thought it was. But you've got a lot to like about this incoming roster um, if everyone's healthy. And, and that's the huge thing for Indiana. They're in that top five if they're healthy, if yep. they can find a way to get healthy and then just have everyone take that next step forward as they should year to year. So a lot on those coaches um, uh, to, to keep guys healthy and make sure they take that next, next step forward. Because if they do take that next step forward like individually, then as a team, they should definitely move out of that question marks group, absolutely, and move on to the next level. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think Michigan becomes a little more clear once you figure out who the coach is and what kind of system it is. Wisconsin's yeah, an odd one. They definitely a question mark because you you know it's been so long since you've seen them without Hap. What do they really do? I think Nate Reavers played. You know really well. I don't know that he is going to step into those shoes exactly as well. I think your should be better. Category is interesting. I would dispute that with Penn State, and maybe that's just because I I have zero faith in Pat Chambers at this yeah. point. Um, they got their whole what...
0: team back though. If Lamar Stevens comes back, uh, they, and they lost were Ree- really they
1: lost Josh Reeves, right? Oh
0: Reeves, that's mm-hmm. right. They did lose Reeves, and he's an important yeah. player too.
2: I, I
1: always struggle it's with true. that because I feel like we've we've done this song and dance with Penn State before. We get guys back, and then they're then they don't actually do anything. So. Uh, I don't know about that one. I, the The Rutgers and Illinois ones are definitely, I would definitely agree that they're going to improve. I've seen some people that are really high on Illinois because yep. Georgie is back. The soon move decided to come back. I think they added a top 50 guy really didn't lose anyone of note. And I think seemed to, once they got away from pressing as much seemed to, to fare a little bit better and Rutgers You know, I think it's been a a slow climb for them, but at least from an identity standpoint, defensively, you know what they are. Uh, They didn't really lose uh, much of anything either. They got a grad transfer from Stony Brook where um, Steve Peichel used to coach uh, previous that could give them a little bit more scoring. So, um,
2: Peichel's a good coach. It's just a question of whether or not he can get the players there. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, they found a
1: way to win seven Big Ten games last year. So if you told me they win a couple more, this year that wouldn't shock me and get to close to 500 like that wouldn't shock me at all i think they're just a difficult team to play against in some ways and one that everybody is kind of conditioned to overlook but m- maybe really shouldn't be so i would probably parse those maybe a little bit differently or push them potentially further up the pecking order and push penn state down and then i think the bottom fewer yeah i didn't know what to do really with them cuz i think
0: they'll be better but it's it's like those teams and the ones in the question yeah, mark category. Too big they'll of a pass. jump
1: to say they're yeah. in like the next tier. They'll pass probably a couple of those teams in the question marks, depending on how that shakes out. I think. Yeah, that's and
2: and it's funny because with Pike, a like guy like Pike, I actually have real faith in it because he has built a culture there, and and it, that's a tough place to build culture. And if you put him in a place, let's say for example, like with Illinois. Uh, resources and and ability to, you know, bring in players. I mean, Illinois is getting some pretty good players under under Underwood. Uh, if you put him in a place like Illinois with those resources, he might make a pretty good run there. It's just that he's at Rutgers, you know, and it's there's always a ceiling to what kind of player you're going to get at Rutgers. And um, so it's interesting. I, I agree. I think they should be better. I, I think he's done a really nice job there. The the question just is, where's the ceiling? And there's always a ceiling when you're when you're at a program like that. So let's peer out even more into the future. Let's talk the next
0: five seasons. All right, and you guys might have seen this. I think the Big Ten uh, Network put this out last off season sometime. But they basically and they talked with coaches and they ranked all the Big Ten teams in terms of history and tradition, media exposure, game atmosphere, budget resources, recruiting base, facilities, um, uh, and then uh, admission requirements. And basically to try and figure out like what's the best job in the Big Ten. Indiana came out number one. Uh, even though the facilities were only sixth, you know, the history, tradition, the media exposure, the game atmosphere, Indiana was one, Michigan State was two, uh, Ohio State was three, Michigan was four, Maryland was five, Purdue was six, and on and on. The question I have for you guys is which Big Ten teams do you think will win the most conference games over the next five seasons? Like, if you had to put some money on it, which ones do you have the most confidence in? I, and, and again, I think this is interesting to do now because with Beeline leaving, it kind of changes this because I think we all would have had Michigan up there a lot higher. So I will give you my top five real quick, and then Andy, you jump in, and then Ryan jump in. My top five was Michigan State because I don't think Izzo's going anywhere for at least the next five years. <sighs> I think we all think that's number
2: one, right? Yes. Yeah. Knock that out right now. Yeah.
0: I would have had Michigan second. I have Purdue second. I didn't want to, but it's hard to argue with. I mean, they have the second best coach in the conference right now, you know? So, and, you know, a lot of times when you're ranking this, you're going on the faith that you have in the coach in addition to the overall program. I had Indiana third, Ohio State fourth, uh, and then Maryland fifth, which was a tough one, but Maryland just always seems to have players. Got that under money.
1: You can't uh <laughs> you
0: can't downplay that. Yeah, I mean, you know, and town ends up winning. So it, it was really hard after that, and we'll get to it, but I felt relatively confident actually in the in the top five. And then so we repeat
2: your top five, I'm sorry.
0: Michigan State, Purdue, Indiana, Ohio State,
2: Maryland. Okay. So thoughts. Um, I I would say Michigan State for sure, number one. I don't think that's a question. I think we all agree. Um, I would put Purdue. For some reason, I know Greg Gard isn't Bo Ryan, but so I think he's going to be gone. And I think Wisconsin as a program could come back up. I wouldn't put them second. I'm just considering top five. Uh, Second, yeah, probably Purdue if you're looking at it today.
0: And if you're so, trying to be objective, I mean, my heart yeah, says Indiana and I, it, I think you can make an today. argument, but you're, you're projecting a lot based on stuff we haven't seen. That's the right. difference. You know? Yeah.
2: No, Indiana is in the top five. I don't know where to put them. Uh, three, four. Uh, I think Ohio state's a good pick because you, you, Ohio state's the kind of program where every year you look back at yearly records and you're like, really? They, they won that many games, you know, uh, they tend to win games and, and no matter who the coach is. And, um, so I would say Ohio State has to be in that top five, and then I might put uh, Wisconsin in that top five because I don't think Greg Gard's going to be there, and I think they're going to find somebody because uh, it's a good program to coach at. And, and I think that they put enough resources into the basketball program, and they get players to develop. And, yeah, and but, so, but if right in a short time
0: window, that would mean that Guard would have to have two pretty bad seasons, and then they I think, I think to one a more, I think
2: one more average season, he's gone. Oh, I, well. I do. I think one more average season, and he's gone. There was a lot of discontent in Badger land right now. I think didn't they give him an extension recently and I I heard that extension was because players thought he was going to leave. So they mm-hmm. he was having a tough time recruiting guys because they thought he was going to be gone. Um so there's a lot of whispers around that program that he's on his way out. Well I had I had Wisconsin 6th and I had Nebraska 7th because I
0: think Fred Hoyberg oh, Hoyberg yeah. yeah I See, I think, I he, think he, he, over the I I next 5 years
1: in, I don't think he's there in 5 years. He that, that's not where world. he wants to end up. I think yeah. he'll do well and leave.
2: I I would agree with you. If he does well he leaves, if he doesn't do well, Yeah, he'll be I mean, there five He already, five they won't yeah, be he already left
1: well. his alma mater, albeit to go to the NBA. But I, right, I, maybe. I would say if a better college job opens up. I mean, to me, this is essentially a measure of of program stability at this point. And I think that's why Purdue, for me, would be second, as you said, where you've kind of built a, a culture there that guys can you know run through and it's always seemingly have a pipeline of other guys to come up. I think I would probably put Ohio State third for the same reason. I think Holtman has bought himself enough. Um, oh, with the way he's been the first couple years, recruiting has started to get even better this year with the guys that he's brought in. And you've got a situation where you've got a lot of resources, but not a ton of pressure. And we've seen Ohio State flourish in that situation uh, in the past. So I would I would have them up there. Maryland's interesting. I think Turgeon is always one who's a little bit hot and runs a little hot and cold with the the fan base at times. So is it a case where if if they gradually, you know, have a couple losing seasons, people turn on him and he never gets them back. But I think in the short term between that and, um, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek, the Under Armour thing, but um, but not not a complete, <laughs> you know, just a throwaway statement either. Um, I, I think they make sense up there. And I, I would like to think IU would be. But again, if you view this as a measure of stability and, and current trajectory of where these are going, it, it just... I think IU might end up in the top five just because there's not really another clear choice. I don't know if that's necessarily because like the the recent track record is really there to suggest it, as much as I don't really know who else you would put there. Maybe Michigan maintains their uh, recent level of success, but that's definitely hard to answer based on yeah. uh, based on the coaching. You know, based on who they would actually pick, but I mean, I mean it's uh,
0: faith in the resources IU has, and the recruiting base, and the tradition, yeah. and just the fact that my God, they can't continue to be this up and down forever, right?
1: Well, that or, would, or, well, yes, that feels <laughs> that
0: feels like the right way to frame <laughs> hey, it. Hey, you hire enough
2: coaches, eventually you're going to hit on one.
0: You know, <laughs> I, I just, I have to say, I am so sick and tired of doing exercises like this, and like, you know, having Purdue come out on top of us, and I mean, really believing it, like they've earned it over what they've done the last three, four, five years, and that is. You know, a good lesson in having faith in a coach, allowing a young coach to grow if you believe that he's a good coach, because Purdue's gone through up and downs, you know, with Matt Painter. Um, And who knows if Archie ends up being like that? I still have faith in him, but, you know, Purdue's built themselves a good program. And it's, you know, they're not just going to fall down because they lose a player. You know, when Caleb Swanigan left, they thought they were going to take a step back and they've, you know, they've continued to win. So it's something that's the place that we want Indiana to get to. And uh you know, hopefully Indiana is in the top three uh, over the next five years because that'll mean that we're playing a lot of meaningful games and uh, hopefully making it back to the tournament. Any final thoughts on this, guys, before we wrap up and go to some questions? No, nope, I think that's it for me. Nope.
1: Okay. Yep. no real uh, outliers from your other you know, rankings looking down here on the on the run sheet. Again, I I, I like what has done at Rutgers, but again, it's it's a little bit hard to figure out who you're actually going to put them over. You really need the bottom to drop out of a couple others to really project them that much higher than 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 they are yep
0: all righty coming up in our third segment we will answer your questions which include one about romeo langford's draft stock in comparison to one former iu target in particular that's kind of an interesting conversation we will answer that question and more coming up here on the assembly call stick with us we'll be right back I never miss an open three and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. Thank you, Nick. Welcome back to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris, me with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. Remember that you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup. Even during the offseason and after every game, we send out a detailed post game analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. All right, guys, it's time for our mailbag. All of these questions were submitted via our private IU Basketball Discussion Community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, Here's a question from James. He says, obviously a lot can happen, but are you at all surprised by the fact that uh, Darius Garland has so thoroughly passed Romeo on draft boards? If I remember correctly, Romeo came into college ranked higher, and Garland goes out with an injury very early in the season. Romeo did have struggles, but was a great player in one of the best leagues in the country with a torn ligament in his hand. I feel bad for him that his reward for playing through injuries is to fall significantly while Garland has been rising because there isn't any tape of him facing adversity at the college level. So that is true. Romeo was ranked higher than Garland. Now, if not you by, look at not, not, by not, much. not by much, I mean, Romeo was five, six Garland was like nine ten. If you look at mock drafts, now you typically see Garland going in the fourth or fifth spot. Romeo. I've seen him in kind of 13 to 17 in that back of you know, the lottery. Detroit Pacers type uh, spot. Here's what I will say, Ryan, and you can agree or disagree with this. I think the reason why Garland is higher is his game right now, when you watch, when you look at his skills, it more obviously projects to the NBA because he's an elite outside shooter. He's got a quick release. And, you know, he's a little bit of an undersized point guard, but I think people look at him and they say you know, Damian Lillard, like it's, it's a little a point bit guard easy. driven league, right? And, and it's a shooting driven league. And the biggest question mark for Romeo is the shooting. I mean, if Romeo, you know, shot consistently throughout the year, he would be a top five, top six pick. And yes, he had the injury that probably affected the shooting. Some, we don't know how much, but that's still going to factor into it. And so yeah. I don't think it's as much that people didn't see Garland face adversity. It's they see him shoot and they see his point guard skills. And that more clearly translates to the modern NBA.
2: Yeah, and and I think that there's a good way to look at this. It's like, you know how in the NFL draft, quarterbacks automatically vault to the top five, regardless of where they rank in their ability versus other players, because quarterback is an important position. It's, you know, so your best, the best player in the draft this year may not have been Kyler Murray. It may have been the Bosa kid or Quinnen Williams or whoever. But Kyler Murray went number one because of the value of that position. I think it's the same thing with a point guard. It's not to the same degree as you do with a quarterback in football, but it's a point guard driven league. You have your point guard. You have your offense. You have the guy who's going to set the tone. And I think, I mean, in one of my mock draft projections a couple weeks ago, before the lottery, I had him going number four to the Memphis Grizzlies because, you know, he's from Tennessee, went to uh, Vanderbilt, perfect fit and take over from Mike Conley. So right now in my mock draft yesterday, I had him go into Lakers at number four. I think the Lakers are going to have a lot of turnover this off season, but I think he and Lonzo ball, I think he'd be lethal
0: with, with ball and LeBron. LeBron,
2: Yeah. And so I think that a lot of people think Lakers are going to trade that, but I think it will be tough to pass that up. If he's healthy, he has a meniscus injury. It's kind of shutting him. He may not go through the draft process. Like a lot of other people will, uh, because there are rumors that he got a draft promise from somebody up high. I, I think that a lot of it has to do with position and, and, and Garland is a, he's a scoring point guard and in the league right now, if you have a scoring point guard, you're successful. Look at all the teams left in the uh, postseason right now. They all have guards who can get to the rim and also shoot the ball. Uh, that's I think what it is. I do think there's something too. We saw Romeo play an entire season against better players than he played in high school and there were times when he struggled. There were times when he was up and down. Uh, the shooting also is a concern. So I think there all those factors are into it, but I do think the positional ability of Garland is a huge factor in why he's such a hot uh, property right now.
1: I mean, to me, this is a, a miniature argument of when you get guys, should I go back to school or not? You know, People got to see, for better or worse, they got to see a lot more Romeo, a lot more film to pick him apart. And Garland, they had five games, and he looked really good in those five games. It's not to say that if they played 25 more games after that, he would have looked any worse. But no, but all everybody has to go on with him is that five-game sample size and what they saw with him as a recruit. It's the same argument that you might give somebody to say, like, hey, should I go back to school? Most of the time, if it's a borderline case, they're going to be told no because all it did, all it does is give people extra time to pick you apart. So not not really to anyone's fault in this case, um, but you know, people saw an extra 20 plus games of Romeo gave them additional time to pick him apart. Um, the flaws that people found in him were, um, uh, became kind of exaggerated because those, those continued. And while we don't really know what role the injury played in it, you know, you can't, you can't take back what people saw, uh, at this point, And you have to kind of go through and prove them wrong versus Garland kind of set it out there. Hey, I'm a, I'm a great shooter was known as one in high school did the same thing in a small sample size in college and that perception persists out there in the uh in the world.
2: I've got I've got something Romeo if you're going to fall to like 18 and you want to come back to Indiana man, we will take you. Come on back, buddy. Uh, we'll, we get, we got two scholarships. I, that's what I'm saying. Got- <laughs> There's open scholarships. We'll give you both of them. <laughs> yeah, take them both. I don't care. Set you up in a nice house on campus, you know.
0: Okay, okay. Let's. No, right I mean with about the to, extra scholarship you're about money. To commit a violation here on radio,
2: but but uh, no, I you know if you're if you're gonna fall that far, dude, come back. <laughs> um,
0: okay. Speaking of that, a good segue to Sally's question. She says we have two scholarships open for the 2019 class. Correct? You guys said we will likely pick up a grad transfer, so that still leaves one. Well, we hope. Uh, we'll see. She says, "Is there a benefit to holding that? Can't we?" help one of the walk-ons for a year. Uh, She said, can you tell I have one in college and another one heading there soon? Just thinking it would be nice to help one of them pay some bills. Uh, But if there is a benefit to the program to not do that, then I get it. So we, we know, look, one of the benefits to holding a scholarship is that you don't maybe reach for a guy and get stuck with that guy for four years. You can bank it for next season. But she's asking, like, okay, we hold that scholarship... Understanding that benefit, could you give it to VJ Blackman or somebody else? Is there any downside to doing that for a year and then having that scholarship then for another player after that? I don't, I don't often see that done. Um, at least I haven't seen it done you, yeah. with Indiana,
2: but yeah, because it, it's hard to take somebody off scholarship once you put them on scholarship, and that's that's the thing. Is it if you're just giving a guy a scholarship for one year because you have it open, then taking it away after a year because you need that roster spot? I mean, it, it's, well, that just seems like something something to communicate ahead of time you know like hey we yeah have this scholarship. And look it's done it's sometimes um but you know doesn't iu guarantee four-year scholarships now so do they have to give a walk on the scholarship the rest of the time he's in college i don't oh, know i don't know
1: yeah i don't know how with um, the student athlete bill rights i don't know how that works i know how yeah. it would work for a guy who was originally offered one but the walk-on piece is a little bit
2: i i don't know if that unique. affects sure. walk-ons as well um you know it's it would be nice to do that, but at the same time, if you are recruiting a guy and you could say, "Look, we have two guys leaving, and we have these two other scholarships. We're looking to take a four person class, It's probably easier to recruit those extra guys if you are can point at openings, you know that are coming as opposed to like, well, we have this guy on scholarship. But we're going to take him off for you. And you know, I, I think we'd all like to add one more player for next year. I think that that, you know, if some backcourt help. If they're worthy of the scholarship, of course, Um, you know, a grad transfer or a, you know, a recruit that maybe shakes loose from somewhere else or something. Uh, But at the same time, I see no problem in banking scholarships. I think that it's good to have the extra flexibility moving forward um, in case it balances the roster a little bit and it, and it you know in case there's a class that comes where you can get several guys like Archie's class last year with a bunch of young guys uh, that all wanted to come so um we'll see i i but i think that uh if you can't find somebody you think is completely worthy of being on scholarship for 4 years uh or you know the the a grad transfer for one year cuz you still have that scholarship open the next year uh then yeah i think you should bank up
0: yep
1: i think from a practical standpoint it just turns into do you have not You know, we we saw last year with the number of guys that got hurt. Trying to figure out how you actually have a, a an effective and challenging practice uh, probably became pretty difficult over the course of the year. So that really, from a, a a practical standpoint, is the only thing that may lead you to say, "Hey, I don't want to bank both of these to be able to get some." But I but I also, you know, like I said at the beginning, I I'm glad to see they're not just trying to give these out just to give them out because they have them. So. Uh, we'll see how that all bounces out, but uh, yeah, I don't definitely don't know the behind the scenes, you know, parameters of what you can and can't do in terms of giving them the walk-ons and then rescinding that at some point in the future.
0: All right. Last question real quick, Ryan from Mark. Has it turned out to be a mistake to focus so much effort on signing Keon by the time he decided we were too far behind to get anyone else and are now short in this class, especially with the Jerome unknown situation. 15 seconds. What do you think?
2: Uh, no, I, I think that when you have a great player from the state of Indiana, you got to go after him, and and I, I don't think Indiana expected to. I don't. I don't think Indiana was thinking. Oh, we're definitely getting him. I, they were prepared for the eventuality, and they took the risk, and they realized, hey, it's a good player from Indiana. We want to get him. That's it. We're done. No more questions. All righty, that is going to do it for us on this week's
0: episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU basketball again with you next Thursday night. Until then, take it from me, Jordan Halls. Keep your elbow in and your eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers.
2: Thank everybody for coming out. All right.
0: I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of the assembly call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. We encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate... Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. I, uh, I, I sub- I've submitted it one to Carson Edwards to do the, I never listened to the assembly call because he's on there for like 20 bucks, mm-hmm. but he uh, he's never responded to it. I've submitted it twice, and he's never. He's responded. busy right now. Yeah, I know. I know. Thomas Bryant's on there. He hasn't responded, but otherwise, McSwain's on there. Prillers on there. Newkirk. I've got all those guys, and then I've reached out to some guys individually that I think are going to do it. So we should have some more of those rolling in. It's just kind of nice yes. to have those. I think it's a nice little touch. Are they
2: like you've reached out to the guys individually off of Cameo? Yeah, yeah. Nice.
0: Yeah, just on Twitter. I basically said like, hey, you know, we saw Christian on Twitter and did this, and you know, so if you guys if you want to do it too, you know, we'll pay you for the clips and just to give us some give us some promos like i think verdell's gonna do it jordan Hulls obviously did it
2: <laughs> you know what you should get verdell doing it's like damn it jared that that's, that's what what you the, verdell, but you the damn it, verdell yeah but do it for jared like <laughs> it can't all be about me let's be honest it needs to we need to spread them out spread out the love a little bit no i think the ethan Hap one is the only one that's oh, going to be about you right no i know perfect, perfect. but um Snoop
0: Dogg yep. is on there for like a thousand dollars. I thought it'd be kind of nice to have him do a little intro for us.
2: <laughs> Yo, this is Snoop do double dizzle. Oh my oh. god! <laughs> no, that's what he would say. Come on, uh, that really? is not that is not oh. anything like it would sound. <laughs> I'm not but, trying to do an impression. Uh, uncanny, it
1: was really. <laughs>
2: uh, all right, serious. with that, I gotta go get. I you. had to look back up. I thought he
1: was actually had <laughs> hopped on, and you just oh, sent a link. Shut up, but... Andy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> please pull the shut up Andy drop that would be great no but I will be pulling the Snoop Dio double jizzle or whatever you just said oh, no. I'm starving I'm hungry uh, I gotta oh, go
0: Chad yes George Leach get George Leach that'd be awesome oh, okay. oh god no <laughs> we need to get Marco Killingsworth
2: <clears throat> alright I gotta go eat dinner's yeah, go on the eat. table I'm alright All right, everybody
0: All right, we'll see you
2: Leslie D. won free groceries and Shop Play Win Monopoly at Safeway. Don't miss
1: your chance with only three weeks left to play. Satisfy your thirst with Coca-Cola, bubbly or sparkling ice. Take a snack break with Sargento cheese or Ritz and serve up fun with Pop-Tarts. Increase your chances to win. Shop these bonus ticket items specially tagged in-store. Download the Shop Play Win app to play today. No purchase necessary. See rules at www.shopplaywin.com. Hasbro is not a sponsor of this promotion.
0: America's beverage companies are working together to reduce plastic waste in our environment. Not all plastic is the same. At the Coca-Cola Company, Keurig Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo, our bottles are made to be remade. We're carefully designing them to be 100% recyclable, including the caps. And we're investing in community recycling improvements so that every bottle we get back
2: can be used to make new bottles.
0: That completes the circle and reduces plastic waste. Please help us get every bottle back.
2: Learn more at everybottleback.org.